Pfizergan is good as Pfizer gone on this healthcare edition of Industry Focus. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Christine Hargis, and it is Wednesday, April 6th. Calling in to break down this morning's big breakup news in the healthcare sector is Motley Fool contributor Todd Campbell. Todd, I don't know about you, but I have been racking my brain all morning for breakup songs. <laughs> I think this is the biggest breakup since Benefer. This might be the biggest healthcare news we've had all all year so far. Pfizer likes to make the big news, don't they? Like, you know, they did it last fall by announcing the deal. Now they're doing it this spring by uh, exiting it. For sure. And we have got all the details for you coming up on this episode. First, a quick shout out to the brainstorming help that I got this morning on Twitter, which, by the way, you ought to know our handle, which is at MF Industry Focus. And let's get this thing rolling. Todd, what's the quick and dirty? Well, Bert, did you have a favorite song? Or are you going to keep us in suspense? Do I have a favorite? You're going to hear my favorite at the very end of this episode. Oh, okay. So excellent. I will leave you in suspense for a little bit. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. We, wow. Yeah. Big news. Um, it probably, you know, I, I guess not unexpected. I mean, it's the biggest breakup since what? Avi uh, exited its planned tax inversion deal with um, Shire uh, back in 14, right? So, you know, I, they had hoped, obviously, to combine the two companies. I love how you called it. Pfizer again, that's great. Which is, of course, Pfizer and Allergan. Yeah, yeah. So Pfizer again would have been huge. You know, it was a $160 billion deal um, that would have created a company with $65 billion in sales and um, would have, you know, moved, uh, at least for tax purposes, Pfizer's headquarters overseas to Dublin, Ireland. Yeah, and that's really where the crux of this issue is. So there had always been some speculation that the government, the U.S. government, might block this deal over antitrust concerns or over the fact that, oh, hey, maybe we don't want to lose all of our tax revenue from Pfizer. But I would say that Allergan investors, I don't know, there there is some implication that the market might have been underpricing Allergan a little bit compared to where Pfizer had put them at with this deal, which would imply... Yeah, the arbitrage there was yeah, huge, right, Christine? Yeah, exactly. So that would imply that there was a little bit of doubt that this was going through, but the executives of both companies were very confident in their words about how they absolutely expected this to go through. And I don't think it was until overnight on Monday when investors uh, truly heard it through the grapevine that the new U.S. Treasury regulations were going to come out and pretty much put the kibosh on this deal. Wait, wait, Christine, did you just say that management was overly optimistic? I mean, I don't want to say overly. I was as optimistic as them, so maybe I was overly optimistic too. But really, I mean, given the guidelines that had existed, you would have thought that this deal was going through. But they completely rewrote the terms, changed changed the rules of the game. The goalposts got moved. Absolutely, the Washington doesn't want to lose their tax revenue, and I can't can't say that I blame them. Uh, you know, last fall. You saw the Treasury Department um, issue a bunch of new rules trying to thwart um, plan tax inversions. And you know, on Monday, they did it again, only this time they you know designed it specifically to kill this deal. And sure enough, they succeeded. They dealt a death blow uh, with a stroke of a pen. Yeah, and of course, they said that this wasn't specifically 
for this deal. But right. <laughs> I mean, the press release itself says that they're not focused on a specific transaction, but rather a loophole within the industry. And this is a loophole that's been used quite a bit, where you get these foreign companies, quote unquote, buying up U.S. companies so that they can use the the tax percentages um, of the the foreign countries. Um, that's actually kind of an interesting detail here, where Allergan, the smaller company, was technically buying Pfizer. I, I know, crazy, right? I mean, you know, here's Allergan with 15 billion in trailing 12 month sales. You got Pfizer doing, you know, 50 billion, and you know, Pfizer obviously being a lot larger in terms of market cap company than Allergan. Yeah. But the reason that they did that was because, you know, at the time they were trying to skirt the rules that the Treasury had put in place that would restrict their ability to, you know, move their tax domicile from the U.S. to Ireland. Uh, it's a really kind of wonky set of rules, but you know we should probably get into that with for our our listeners. I'm gonna have you lay that out. There's a lot of numbers in there. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know what? Let's try and make it really, really simple. In order for you to successfully invert to another you know country for tax purposes, um, the U.S. company shareholders can't own more than 80% of the combined entity uh, once the deal is done. If you own between 60% and 80%, you get hit with some tax penalties. So ideally, you want to structure the deal so that the U.S. owners of Pfizer, okay, shareholders, wouldn't own more than 60% of the combined Pfizer given. And the way that they did the deal was they structured it so that um, Pfizer would own, you know, Pfizer shareholders would own 56% of the combined entity thereby putting them below that 60% threshold and nicely below the 80%. Yeah, nice uh, buffer zone, too, a whole 4%. <laughs> right, right, right in skin of their teeth. But, you know, unfortunately, one thing that they didn't count on was, you know, Jacob Blue in the, at the Treasury Department. Yeah, so really the game changer here was the fact that now with these new rules, essentially the last three years of Allergan's uh, inversion type actions are being discounted. And this is a company that has grown by acquisition. Uh, used to be known as Activist. And uh, so it, when it was Activist in October 2013, they took over Warner Chilcott. That was an $8.5 billion transaction, which moved their tax home to Ireland to begin with. Um, then a couple years later, July 2015, they acquired Forest Laboratories for $28 billion. Um, and then finally, they took over Allergan itself for $70.5 billion, And that's where you get the name change over to Allergan as we know it today. So, with these new rules, they're essentially discounting the value of those acquisitions from the value of Allergan. Right. So basically, they're they're telling you know Pfizer that hey, when you do that calculation, guess what? You know how big Allergan is. Well, you know how big it got because over the last three years because of these acquisitions, those those acquisitions don't exist. So do your math again. And sure enough, you know, I'm sure that Pfizer crunched those numbers every way they possibly could uh, and weren't able to get it below that 60% threshold. And this is really interesting to me, too, because Pfizer had said that this deal is not about 
the the tax inversion. They were saying that it's more about bolstering up their business, and you hear all this talk about potentially breaking up Pfizer into different business units. But now, all of a sudden, this tax scenario doesn't work, and Pfizer tells Allergan to go your own way. So yeah, now what? Is, is this kind of a case where, where the lesson that we're going to learn from this is that you know management sometimes fibs or stretches the truth or or whatever? You're right. You know when this deal got announced. You know, Pfizer had slide upon slide upon slide touting how excited it was to get Allergan's Botox and all of these drugs that are used to treat Alzheimer's and depression and everything else and this huge pipeline that Allergan would bring uh, to Pfizergan. And, you know, sure enough, when push came to shove, eliminating the chance to go from 25% effective tax rate to 17% tax rate is what killed a $160 billion deal. Yeah, and Ian Reid, the CEO of Pfizer, his words actually did say something to the effect of, while it's not only about the tax rate, if that part of it were to fall through, then the price point might be a little bit different. So, what do you think? Do you think we're going to see another attempt from Pfizer just at a different price? I, you know, I would have thought that those negotiations, negotiations already happened, mm. and that for whatever reason, you know, either Allegan looked at it and said, no, we're worth more on a standalone basis, or Pfizer said, you know what, we're really, really not that interested. Yeah, that surprise, makes sense. Surprise, surprise, we wanted the tax break, and now we're not getting it. <laughs> yeah. That's we're going to walk away it. now because we have an opportunity to do it, you know, and relatively cheaply, right? I mean, you know, usually breakup fees are in the billions of dollars. AbbVie paid Shire, I think it was $1.7 or $1.8 when they called off their uh, tax aversion, inversion deal. And this one, Christine, was what? A rounding number? It was $150 million. Yeah, here's some walking around money. Yeah, that's pocket change. I mean, maybe not to you and me, but for Pfizer. Yeah, I mean, for Pfizer it is, absolutely. I mean, you, you saw numbers being tossed around yesterday that were going to be, oh, they'll get three or $400 million, oh, they'll get, you know, a billion, who knows what they'll get. Yeah, I and think I when, saw up to a billion and a half. Yeah, and, and you know it just it basically said, "Tell you what, we know you you racked up a lot of legal fees. We'll pay for your legal fees." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then that's where you get that 150 million, which is really not a whole lot of money. So um, Pfizer has already tried to do a tax inversion deal in the past with AstraZeneca, and that failed. And now you have this Allergan deal, which also has failed. Do you think there's any sense of never mind? I'll find someone like you, and that they might look to another acquisition, or either for tax reasons or otherwise. You know, it would have to be a really big company <clears throat> now, I think, based on these rules. I mean, <clears throat> could they could they tie up with somebody like a Glaxo? Let's start some rumors, right? <laughs> um, you know, could, could they tie up with a Glaxo? Could they go back to AstraZeneca again and say, hey, how about us now? How do you like us now? I, you know, sure, anything's possible. Pfizer has arguably one of the best balance sheets in, pharm- in pharma. I mean, they've got, they're sitting on an absolute mountain of cash. Um, and... Uh, and that cash is just getting bigger and bigger every quarter. So, I don't know. I mean, they've got enough things going on um, where I think that, you know, they can, con- the corner is turned for them and they can continue to grow over the next few years. They've got new drugs that are coming out. They're selling pretty quickly. The drag and sales from losing Lipitor's patent protection, uh, that's pretty much come to an end. They've cut a lot of costs. And you know what? Investors could get, you know, a nice big windfall in the form of, of uh, extra buybacks or a hike in the dividend. Or, you know, Pfizer may decide, hey, you know what? You guys have wanted us to split off our 
our, our generics business or our existing products business for a while, maybe we'll spin that out. Yeah, that's definitely the thing to watch next with Pfizer is whether they do split into two distinct business units, the one being the one that you just mentioned, which is global established pharmaceuticals, and the other one is innovative products. And there have definitely been a lot of speculation about Allergan being of use to that split by bolstering both sides of that portfolio. But either way, Pfizer says that it will still make a decision about any potential separation by the end of this year. Yeah, stay tuned. That, that it'll be good. It'll be. I'm sure that they will be in the news some more from here on out, right? I Absolutely. Mean, Pfizer likes to to surprise us with big news, so I, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't count Reed out, you know. And then of course that brings us to okay, if if, if Pfizer is going to be hunky dory on its own you know, what What will it mean for Allergan, right? Yep, that was absolutely my next question, which is, is Allergan at this point channeling uh, Kelly Clarkson, since you've been gone, I can breathe? Or is Pfizer more like Beyonce's irreplaceable? What, what are they going to do next? <laughs> yeah, Allergan is, um, they, they need a few things to go right for them. Um, but they do have some very intriguing drugs that are in the pipeline. They've got a, a drug for migraine, coming through the pipeline that, that could be a billion-dollar seller. They've got some new dep- depression drug coming through the pipeline that, that could be a billion-dollar seller. Botox, of course, is a mega-billion, multi-billion-dollar blockbuster, and they think they can get it approved for additional indications that could could move the needle. You know, This year, they're expecting sales to grow in the low double digits, so they're going to go from $15 billion in sales uh, to roughly $17 billion in sales you know, solid growth, you know, um, and then, of course, that, you know, how much of that translated into earnings and uh, just will depend a lot on how good they, they are at, at cutting costs. Well, estimates have them growing earnings at 15% a year for the remainder of the decade. Which would be great. I mean, right, they talked about it, uh, in prior investor calls, they talked about $25 a share uh, today on, on his call. Um, the CEO of Allergan said, "Hey, you, we'd love to get to thirty dollars a share, right?" Um, <laughs> of course, wouldn't? we would. But, but the thing that we have to remember too is that you know we've got non-GAAP EPS and GAAP EPS, and because Allergan's been so acquisitive, um, you know, it's really hard to say, okay, what's their real earning power absent all these acquisitions? You know, okay, they're going to earn. If they earn fifteen or twenty or twenty-five dollars on a non-gap basis, what does that mean on a gap basis? You know, last year they lost money if you do it on a gap basis. That's kind of crazy, yeah. And that does, of course, demonstrate that you probably should look at both. Um, I think the other maybe yellow flag for this company is if you take a look at their balance sheet, they do have quite a bit of debt, but there's a caveat with that, with the potential sale of their generics unit to Teva. One of the biggest concerns that I have with this company, because again, I think investors need to always look at these what could go wrong kind of scenarios. And one of the things that I get a little bit nervous about, although of course, you know, Allergan says, we're on track, this deal is gonna close. Um, they're trying to sell their generics business to Teva. And if that deal goes through, they're gonna get a check for 33 billion in some change, they're going to get another 6.75 billion worth of Teva stock, okay? If they get that and the deal closes without a hedge, well, that makes that huge $42 billion in debt that's on their balance sheet uh, become a lot more manageable, right? I mean, they've got $1.2 billion in cash, 
uh, and 42 billion in debt, that's that's not very good. So getting this money in from Teva would be game changing for the balance sheet. Now, of course, that assumes, right, that this goes through. Yeah, I was just going to say, if I had asked you a couple of days ago which deal was more likely to go through, the Allergan and Pfizer one or Allergan Teva, what would you have said? Whew, great question. I, I don't know. I was a little bit more, I was more worried probably about the um, the FTC review of this generics sale. Really? Um, okay. Then that's yeah, definitely and, kind and, of nerve wracking. Because, you know, there's been a lot of pushback on generic drug price increases. You know, last summer, um, you know, the Department of Justice actually sent an inquiry to Allergan asking about it, you know, how it was pricing its generic drugs. Um, and other generic drug makers have received similar subpoenas. So, you know, they're very concerned about the chance for monopolies in generic drug um, industry with that backdrop. You know, what what could happen with generic drug prices? So that probably does a lot to explain Allergan's current share price. Um, I have been scratching my head a little bit because before the Pfizer plans were announced back in November, Allergan was trading at above $300 a share. They're now at 245 So you would think that they would have traded like higher than they had been uh, previous to this news being announced, but they dropped a good 15% on the news. And so to me, that's like, well, before when it was a standalone business, you had it valued at one place. They say they're going to merge with Pfizer and you devalue them. And then the, the merger breaks up and they're trading even lower. But I think you might have the, the key there that it's more doubt about this Teva deal. Well, you know, and it's also, I mean, if- if Valiant Pharmaceuticals taught us anything, it's this whole idea of acquire, 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 throw a ton of debt on the balance sheet. It, it, it may not be such a good thing, right? <laughs> I mean, it's good until it isn't. And yeah, I, I mean, I, the Allergan CEO, Brent Saunders, has been very clear that he does not want his company to be associated with Valiant, which you could say has a similar model of being very acquisitive. But of course, Allergan, at least according to Saunders, has much more of a reliance on actual R&D. Yeah, they spend about a, a billion and a half, I think, on R&D last year. It's certainly not you know, the same levels you'd see with a a Pfizer or Johnson and Johnson or something, um, but it's you know it's a it's a good amount of money, and they do have some intriguing specialty drugs making their way through. And I would agree with you on that on that front that their pipeline certainly has more potential than you know say a Valiant, if you will. Um, but I, again, I mean, deleveraging that balance sheet is going to be important. You know, one of the things that uh, Allergan CEO really really hammered home on that conference call today was we're going to do whatever it takes. To maintain our investment grade rating. So keep an eye out there for what Moody's says about Allergan after this deal has um, now been scuttled. Yeah, that's definitely good advice. Um, I will also put a little bit more of a, a positive commentary from Saunders in there, just about how strong their pipeline is. He pointed out that they have 70 mid to late stage programs, including 14 expected approvals and 16 regulatory submissions in 2016 alone. So you do have a good number of question marks with this business, but hopefully they don't get hit out of the blue again with something unexpected, maybe such as the Teva deal falling through. And hopefully they can be singing the Gloria Gaynor karaoke favorite, I Will Survive. That, that, that's my last bad music reference I'm going to make on this show, just so you all know. <laughs> yeah, they're going to be fine as long as this Teva deal goes through, um, I would think. You know, I, 
the the book value of the company is like $189 a share. You're not paying a lot more than book. Uh, if you if you're using the non-GAAP EPS estimate, um, it's about 14. The tr- shares are trading around 14 times forward EPS estimates. Not bargain basement, but certainly not uh, sky high valuation. Right. Well, there you have it, folks. That's our take on what just may be the biggest healthcare news so far in 2016. If you have comments or questions, feel free to email us at industryfocus@fool.com. Thanks so much, Todd, and thanks to our listeners. I hope I don't get any terrible breakup songs stuck in your head for the rest of the day. And we will talk to you all next week. As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thank you.